Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This week, every day on Cub and Devils, we're publishing an episode at 9 p.m. These are interviews and conversations that have been had with friends on our shores that I believe will bless you. This coming Sunday, on the 20th of November, we are having Elena and all her single friends coming to explain to us why they fear to commit. We shall discuss fears singles have concerning marriage. Some are legit fears. There are problems that married people now cannot escape, while others are baseless fears. Enjoy the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you had a great weekend, at least I have for the most part. But I'm glad that you guys are here. Thank you so much, Kato Victor, for joining us. And uh, we do have Monzi, Lindsay, and Samson, I don't think I've had Samson before on the show. Samson, you're welcome. If this is more than your first time, I'm sorry I must have missed the first time you're here, but glad that you came. Tonight, we're going to be having Mr. Kevin Holman with us. He has been here about two uh, Sundays ago. And yes, we're talking about Doomsday. But today we are back to talk about, oh, happy day. It's not about Doomsday all the time. I think there are days where God is good, at least from our perspective, because he's always good, even in bad times. But I mean, this is a time when we can confidently say God is good when we have those new opportunities in our lives. And I I cannot stop thinking about the story of Joseph. Uh, losing everything after being known as a dreamer and then coming to this point in his life where, I mean, he's promoted to the equivalent of prime minister, at least for us today. And uh, I mean, the way he reacts, I think, is awesome. And we're going to be picking lessons from that as we have conversations with Pastor Kevin Holman. Thank you guys for coming. Heart of Worship. Glad you're here. Angie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. And I don't know if you have any friends from Kenya uh, with us, but again, it's East Africa. It is Africa. And we do have Mr. Kevin uh, Holman calling in all the way from Florida. I think I saw a phone call coming through. Correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't want to pick it, but I hope it's you, Pastor Kevin, with XNMPZZ something P. But I'm going to go ahead and accept this call. I am hoping it is you. Guys, if it's not him, I shall not be held responsible for what you hear. Let's try this and see. Pastor Kevin, is that you? I can see you live right now. Yes, we are here. Perfect. Hello. <laughs> I was afraid. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't recognize that name. <laughs> <laughs> like, who is this trying to get through to you, huh? Uh, I yeah. understand. I'm like, <laughs> who is this? I hope it's him. And I'm glad it is you. Thank you so much for choosing to be with us. Again, for yet another day. I, I really well, thank you for inviting appreciate. me. Awesome. What have you been thinking, Pastor Kevin? I like to start with the main thing. I mean, we cannot reward uh, latecomers and punish the early comers. As soon as the show starts, we start and we have started. What have you been thinking when it comes to new opportunities? What are we looking forward to tonight? Well, as far as in uh, Oh Happy Day, when the 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 shift from desperately looking for God, how are you going to meet this need and provide? I've lost my job. And now here comes the new job and you have the, the breakthrough and you've got the, the new situation all set up. But the, the question is, what happens when you go into that new, that new job? And specifically, my burden is what happens to your walk with God? What happens to your dependence upon him? And I'll start with uh, the the principle that to me uh, I'm, I'm drawing from with this is the principle that you find in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And you remember that the Israelites in the book of Judges, the, they had gotten into the, the promised land and they had a foothold that was established when Joshua led them in. And God saw that all the tribes had a place, but yet there were still these people groups around that had not been eradicated and there were enemy nations around and uh, they all had idols and God had told the Israelites to be very careful not to be distracted by those idols and to make uh, make alliances with these pagan nations and end up worshiping their gods 
And so you see in the book of Judges, there's this cycle that goes along and the, and the cycle goes like this. The, the nation falls into sin. They start worshiping idols. They, they begin to you know, worship the statues and all the stuff that goes with that. And so because of that, they, they've broken the covenant with God. God did what he said he would do. He turns them over to discipline. And so judgment comes. And in that judgment, in the book of Judges, what God does is he allows one of the neighboring nations typically to come and overrun them. And, uh, a na- uh, you know, one of those nations uh, starts to oppress them. And they, they begin to have a very, very hard time in Israel because of the oppression. And so it gets bad enough, and it goes on years sometimes, but it finally gets bad enough so that the Israelites cry out to God. They finally are repentant and say, oh, God, save us. And so God then raises up a deliverer, what, what's called a judge in the book of Judges, which is not just a spiritual, but really a military leader as well, and uh, empowered by God, by his spirit. And that judge comes, and he, <clears throat> by God's power, brings about a great victory, a great deliverance. And so the Israelites, are they throw off their oppressors. Everything you know, is, is taken care of. And then they have a period of peace while the, while the judge is alive. But once that judge dies, everything is tranquil, everything is good, it's happy days. But as soon as that uh, judge is now no longer on the scene, the Israelites in that time of peace go into idolatry once again, and they begin this same cycle, which goes on once uh, and again and again, and it goes sin, judgment, repentance, a deliverer, God brings a deliverer, and then you have peace. And then from peace, they go back into idolatry. Their hearts grow cold. And once again, you're back in this cycle. That cycle goes on about 15 times in the book of Judges. And as it goes on, it gets more and more desperate and things become uh, much, much worse in the whole situation. And so one of the observations about that to me that stands out in that cycle what is the most dangerous part of that cycle to be at if you are a if you're a Christian? Uh, what is the most dangerous part? And if you look at on that as it goes around, the the most dangerous time is the time of peace when everything is good, not the time of oppression, not the time of difficulty and trial, because at that point the Israelites are crying out for deliverance. They they know that they can't beat this uh, oppressing nation. They know that they need God to move to, to help them. And so they're crying out, they're pleading with God. It's, that's not the desperate time or the dangerous time. The dangerous time is once God brings them to a place of peace again, then their hearts start to become content and satisfied and they no longer need God anymore in the same way. They, don't, they, they no longer feel desperate for God and they get their eyes off of him and they start just looking at everything that they have and they start feeling content. And then their heart pulls them away from God and back into that cycle of sin once again. So to me, this is from a pastor's heart because I've seen these cycles go on and on. The concern for me is that somebody uh, at the time that they have that change and the problem is solved, they have a brand new job, Oh, happy day. I have no more financial problems. All my worries are taken care of. I have a bright future. There is a very human tendency in our heart to relax in our desperation for God and our our intense seeking him and say, oh, okay, I can handle it from here, God. I've got it now. And that's the most dangerous moment in the Christian life is when we say, I've got this one, God. I I think you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. I do have a friend. He might actually have tuned in today. He said something that I I kept on, like I'm really stuck on. And it sounds funny. It sounds ridiculous. But when you talk about moments where we are (laughs) in in living in plenty and, and, and saying it's the most dangerous, oh, we remember Solomon who talked about it being vanity and vanity so many times he repeats that word and how everything is meaningless. This friend of mine says, wait, I'm going to first get rich and I will determine for myself what is dangerous in this sense because he seems to interpret scarcity as the most dangerous part. And I think we've mentioned this before uh, on this show. Why? Because 
even as much as Pastor Kevin, you have gone through all of that, and 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 I'm really waiting for the next 45 minutes uh, <laughs> to see where this is going. I know in, at the bottom of my heart that this is true. Moments in plenty are very, very, very dangerous, and yet. In all our prayers, none of us is going to pray for scarcity. I don't know if you understand. It, no, no one is going to pray, God, take away my job so I can grow closer to you. All of us have made wishes in saying, if only I had more money. In fact, let me challenge those of us who are listening in right now. What statements have you had people say at the end, if I had more money, I would Please give us what you think or what you've had in the comments below. People that have said, whether it's you or someone else you've had, who are saying, if only I had more money, then I would. Um, just, I, I would like to read those comments out. But each one of us has made those wishes or have made those promises. If only I had more money, if only I had a better job, then I would. I would like to see some of those comments uh, below. And so, yeah, my heart is really tickled, Pastor Kevin, even as you kept thinking, I mean, talking about the loop that uh, the, 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 the people of, in the book of Judges uh, went through from scarcity to being blessed to repeating and God bringing judgment uh, over them. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting that we are looking at today and in a way we're looking at plenty as being a very, very dangerous place to be. And I'm, I think we're going to be listening out to warnings. And I'm, I'm waiting to hear what the others think. If only I had more money, then what? Then what? What have you heard people say? And how have they concluded that statement? And of course, we're going to bust some of those myths and, and just maybe kind of, uh, yeah, examine them and see if they're really, really true. But thank you guys for coming. This is interesting because I've, I've always dreamt of a moment where each one of us would be sitting in our sitting room and almost having cabin devotions together just before we go to bed, just before we capture this new week uh, ahead of us. Go ahead and let your friends know that we are live. Invite them to come in and sit together as we discuss God's word, um, more like have a conversation about these things. And today's topic is, oh, happy day, the day I got my new job. How do we handle opportunities? How do we handle opportunities? Thank you so much, Pastor Patrick, for sharing the show. Katie, thank you for sharing the show. Angie as well, just share the show. Joel, thank you and thank you. Let me see. Here, Pastor Patrick says, if only I had more money, then I would give more to church and support missions. That is, uh, I don't call it cliche, <laughs> but it's so <laughs> common. It is so common. We think we'll give more if we have more. But I want to believe, not for all people, but usually the opposite happens. And then Lindsay is saying, I would leave my job. I would start tithing. <laughs> ah. Oh boy, I, I had a conversation with a friend about tithing and they were asking me what my opinion was. And I've not really had a concrete opinion um, concerning tithing because I had once a preacher mention that says that is the minimum of what is required of us to give, the minimum. And it's from that moment that I, I began to give or to think of giving more than uh, tithing. So I, I don't want to say I have a particular concrete uh, thought. I would like to hear what Pastor Kevin, I'm sorry to call you Pastor, but I mean, this is the point, this is the point where these things come to you as a pastor because they determine your take home. I mean. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. And this and this is exactly what happens is, is people mm. have this idea. It, it goes along with the, you know, when these certain circumstances are met in my life, then I will be mm. dedicated and devoted and start serving God. And uh, but I'm waiting for for the situation to change before I can step in and actually begin to do that. And that has the cart before the horse is exactly backwards. We don't we don't wait for the situation to become perfect. Now I'll start serving God. We start serving God right now where we are and trust the Lord with the future, whether the situation is ever what we would call perfect or not. It starts to matter less and less because what happens is we start to to get our focus, you know, like Colossians chapter three on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And, and when you get your focus where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, 
suddenly the the things that we worry or 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 the the achievements we feel we simply must you know accomplish in order to be happy whatever happiness is because human happiness is such a moving target you know people say if i had this i'd be happy and then they get it and then 6 months later they're not happy with that anymore they want another one or the next model or a different one and this is very common in america where we have so much stuff and it really works against the good of the soul because people always are chasing the next thing and they're not content so i think in these uh you know when you talk about you know one day i'll serve god uh if i can just get this one day i'll start giving one day i'll start uh regarding regarding that whole that whole realm i think that god's 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 word is today in the scripture not tomorrow not next week not next month or next year today start serving the lord with what you do have and i think that's a key hmm I, I, I had to write that down. Human happiness is such a moving target. And I, I must confess, like each one of us here, I would prefer a better job. Um, um, a, and better, we are calculating mostly pay, the take home. Um, and uh, I was just reading an article today. Uh, I was looking at some of the, uh, just thinking about our topic today. And I found an article that was interesting. A gentleman asks the question, how can I climb the corporate ladder and still glorify God? And of course, they are thinking about promotions. And uh, it's interesting that Piper answers that question by, in a one way or another, um, alluding to the fact that we need more purpose than just a take home. And most of you would agree. And I was talking to a friend about three weeks ago who had the same um, thought and says that I am at a place, I'm paid well, but I don't feel like I'm making a difference. And you could realize their purpose is beyond, way beyond how much they are taking home. And if we're pursuing happiness through a promotion or a better job, it's a moving target because it's one day it's take home, another day it is purpose. And uh, another day it's uh, security for my kids. Another day it's a better car. Another day happiness is a, is a house and those things keep moving. But in saying that, I want to believe that there's a target that does not move and that's really honor and glory to God should be uh, our driving purpose. But going back to this new job and oh, happy day. Pastor Kevin, I could not stop thinking about Joseph. I don't know how many lessons or any points you could uh, derive from his story. But one day he's lost everything. And I would say everything, family, friends, um, he gets this job, looks like a good job. He's in charge of Potiphar's house. And then in a, in a very short time, he loses that job and goes to the bottom of the chain, literally, in a pit, prison. And there still, he continues to hold on. I love the cartoon version. Uh, I know it's not depicted in the scriptures, but this guy plants a tree, waters it. And by the time he leaves that prison, the tree is grown. It was a long time. Even after uh, he had told one of the king's servants to remember him before the king. But he's pulled out, promoted, given the second best job in the land. And one thing that for me, I picked from there is not to hold a grudge. Because remember, his brothers woke up to him to ask for food. The same brothers that put him in a very uh, difficult situation. I would call it death. And he does not hold a grudge. He finds forgiveness. That day when he got his job, he never threw out um, the foundations of what he had learned. Uh, concerning just forgiveness and uh, his relationship with God. One of the things he tells his brothers is you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Even when he was being, just before he got fired the second, the first time, he says, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? God mm. seems to be that guiding principle his entire life. But as you think about that, Pastor Kevin, just my last question before I can ask you to share with us from what you prepared, what, what are your thoughts concerning Joseph? And, and, and are there any examples you've witnessed in your ministry concerning uh, maybe similarities between Joseph and, yeah, this topic we're talking about today, a new job? Well, many times we see people that have changed to a new job and they expect it's going to be just the end of all their problems. 
And the truth is the problems don't ever go away. Sometimes they get, get, they get more complex. Um, let me say, just touch on Joseph before I leave that, so, because it is such an interesting uh, situation. You know, when Joseph loses his first job, if you would, with Potiphar in Egypt, uh, he doesn't lose that because he's done anything wrong. He loses it because he has stood for God and is resolute and will not sin. So he goes to prison and then stays there for years and years and years. You know, he doesn't get out of prison and get called to Pharaoh until he's 30 years old. So he, somebody could say, look at all of that. Uh, you know, he's, he's lost all of that life. But we know that God was hammering away and, uh, and, and chiseling and preparing him to be the man that he needed to be. And uh, one thing he did was he remained faithful in his service to God throughout the entire time that he was in the school of hard knocks. He, he did not throw in the towel and say, ah, oh, look what God's done to me and what, look what God's allowed. You know, I'll, I'll never serve God again. He didn't do that. He kept serving faithfully, even when he got forgotten by the, the, uh, the, uh, the wine taster who said, I'll, you know, he said, remember me. He doesn't, he, he forgets about him. And, and so, uh, very interesting. But then when Joseph gets to the position that he goes to to Egypt, it's not as though all the problems are, are you know, totally gone. He now has a whole new set of responsibilities. I think that, the, to me, the important thing with that is uh, what are we doing where we are in the situation that God has brought us into? I think it's a very important uh, uh, question. Do we, do we use that to the glory of God, or do we let it consume us, or do, do we let it consume our appetites, you know, just feed our appetites. Uh, I, I thought of the uh, proverb in uh, chapter 30 of Proverbs, uh, verses 8 and 9, uh, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. So there's like this happy medium that we are shooting for to, uh, yes, we, we, we need God to provide so that we're not in want. But at the same time, sometimes it is the, uh, it is the abundance when we get it that we are tempted to say, who is the Lord? Whether we say, oh, I would never utter those words as a Christian. But in our daily actions and attitudes, we might be saying that because we stop crying out to him and, and stop spending time like we should in his word and praying and seeking him. And uh, so I think that's, a, uh, again, a really interesting question as we come into the situation of, hey, God now has provided. He's opened a door for me. It, um, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to let you just uh, take, it as, take, it, take, take it away uh, as, as oh. you share some principles. Maybe bust a couple of myths. <laughs> there are some common ones here. On that day when you get your new job, people say uh, you're supposed to give away the first set of your salary, like the first salary, all of it, give it to church. Uh, but again, what, how do we handle new opportunities? I must be in the wrong church because I've never heard that one before. <laughs> I, you know, like I sometimes... The, yeah, I, I, I could joke and say, yeah, you want to give that to uh, your pastor. But no, no, honestly, I've, I've not, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like to set up law and say you must do this exact thing in a place where God does not give a specific command in his word. So you ask in the New Testament, what do we do as far as giving goes? And I, I know in the Old Testament economy, there was tithing to support the, the temple and the priesthood. And that tithing, actually, if you look at, depending upon the, the particular year, we know that, of course, everybody says, well, 10%. But there were other years where they took special uh, offerings as well to, for the poor and that sort of thing. If you look in the law, and that, that tithe could sometimes be 15 or 17 or 18 or percent. And I've heard as high as 20 or 21% in certain years. So, you know, do we try to calculate a specific percentage? And uh, I like what Paul says. Uh, in uh, in Galatians, in in regard, you know, that this principle of as the as the as the Lord has has uh, given to you, so also should you. You know, there's this. To me, that's what I'm looking at in, in my life is uh, 
how has God blessed me? I want to, I want to respond in measure without putting some kind of a, a legalistic, it must be this amount. Um, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't press people on that. I just, I find this, I guess, if you, if you disciple people and if you get their hearts moved toward the kingdom, people begin to give because they know that this is what's needed for the work of the kingdom to go forth. So in my church, for instance, as a pastor, I never preach on money unless that day I happen to be preaching on a passage as I preach through a book that deals with money. If I'm preaching through First Timothy, for instance, I'm going to talk about money when I get to chapter six because there are several important principles in that chapter. But I'm, I don't ever, you know, stand before the people and say, come on, you need to give more money. I need more money from you. And, and, you know, some pastors do that quite a lot. But I find that if you get people to draw close to God and get their eyes on eternal things, the Lord takes care of that in their heart and they begin to give. We've seen that in our church, you know, for years and years and years. And the Lord just moves on people's hearts. And if their priorities are right, you know, God meets the needs and, you know, that's versus a legalistic, you must give a certain, a certain amount. I don't know if that answers your question with that, but, but in, in how that ties to a job. Uh, okay. So you say, oh, this person now has a new job. I expect you to start giving this much more now each time. And some churches, some denominations here in the United States actually track the salaries of people and they, they kind of issue a spreadsheet or, you know, a, here, here's, here's the amount that you need to be giving uh, to us. And uh, I find that uh, to be really opposite the way that I would tend with it, because I think let the person get to know God and, and start to have their heart, you know, in love with him. And uh, that amount that you thought that was so good to get, that might be the bare minimum of what the person wants to give, you know, it just, but I don't track that myself. I let the Lord deal with that. And, and, and the Lord does with people. He, he deals with it in my own heart, too. Uh, so I, I think that, um, yeah, uh, the, the question of what do you do? But that is a good question. What do you do then when you've got this job and, and now say you're making a, a better salary, you've gotten a promotion, and what do you do? Do you, do you say, well, now look how much more I can spend. I, I can start really, you know, enjoying the good life. I can buy better things. I can start traveling more and enjoying more things. And that might be a very, very dangerous direction to go. In fact, I'm sure it is if that's your heart uh, versus saying, hey, the Lord has blessed me like this. Now, how should I use this? And I don't know how exactly you want this uh, to go, but I think one of, you know, as far as our conversation, David, but one of the, the very important principles that I see that overlays this whole thing is a principle of stewardship, that when God brings us into a situation of a new job, um, that do we have a sense of stewardship over the resources that God has provided? This larger paycheck is not mine just to selfishly spend on the things I desire. This is something that God is giving me to uh, to be a good steward of. So I, I think that's the question. Am I going to indulge myself now that I have a bigger salary? Or am I going to see myself as a steward over the resources that God has provided? And that's a that's a principle I think we see all through the scripture that certainly touches on the the question of what do I do when I with this new this new job. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, very quickly, pastors uh, and even individuals can easily cross a line when you put a law where God did not put one. And I was just thinking, we, I know we are using this term so many times in our conversation, new job, new job, and what do you do? But we've not even put a lifespan to when that job becomes old now. It, what happens if you gave your first whole salary? So the next month, what happens? Is, does that become an old job? Do I stop giving? Do I stop getting excited about giving? And I think Paul does give some very interesting principles concerning giving. And one that is clear is a cheerful heart. Um, and I think that that really is, is as clear as it gets. If you're grumbling about your giving, uh, yes, that may not be the right attitude. And yeah, 
sacrifices can be rejected. I can promise you, ask Cain. You can offer, but your sacrifice can be rejected, uh, probably because of the attitude of your heart. But thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Kevin. Let me ask one quick question. Um, you did talk about stewardship. Yes. And that question gets thrown around, our statement gets thrown around very, very easily. And usually, from what I have heard, even from my own conversations with people, um, it's usually to do with how can I limit spending? Um, and, and so let's give an example. And I know this has been a fight on the Cabin Divorce WhatsApp group. You want to buy a phone and you're thinking, should I buy an iPhone? Should I buy Android? And then Android, because it's cheaper than iPhone, you think you're being a good steward of God's money because you're spending less. And I don't know. I think that stewardship is more than holding on to the money. When I think about taking the parable of the talents, this gentleman that never invested these uh, talents, he brought them back the way he was given. He never lost any of it. And yet, I don't think he was considered faithful. And so we're talking about being good stewards, but I, do, I want to think that it goes beyond being stingy. Or oh, what's the word? I'm forgetting the English word. Frugal is the word. Um, mm-hmm. finding, finding the cheapest item on the market. I don't think that is the definition of stewardship. Could you just help us expand that term a little bit? Um, I might be wrong. Uh, but that's, I was just thinking about that recently. That thought is as young as less than a week. And I'm just running it by you because you did mention stewardship. Talking about the new job and the money, I think we can be, how can we be better stewards? Let me put the question that way, of this new salary that God has given us, Pastor Kevin. Well, I think, first of all, there's the question of, of understanding ownership of my life. Uh, when people talk about okay, what do I do with my possessions? How do I kind of divide up God? This, I, this I'm going to allocate for you and, and this other I'm going to keep for me. I, I think, uh, you know, First Corinthians chapter 6 says, uh, you know, that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know, we, we don't even, we don't own ourselves. And I, I think that there is that question of, am I, um, am I confusing the matter and saying, okay, God, you know, this much is yours and this much here I keep. A biblical picture is, God, this is all yours. And as I know that as a steward, I have to take care of the resources of my own household. Obviously, I don't want to give all my money away to the church and then go begging on the corner because I don't have any food for my family. So I want to be a responsible steward so that I'm not a, uh, a burden to anyone else. Uh, but then there's the question of how then do I use this to the glory of God. And, and I think if we get our hearts in that situation, more so if we can push that direction of God owns it all. He owns me. He owns everything I have, not just 10%. He owns 100%. And uh, so, so that, that frees me up if I can arrive at that point. It frees me up to be much more loose-handed with my, with my possessions that I can give something away and or I can spend a, a, a cost for something for ministry and not feel like, ooh, ooh, I could have used that for something else I wanted. But but in regards to stewardship just doing it the cheapest, well, not necessarily because you could, you know, something can be so cheaply made that uh, it takes five of them to last as long as something that costs twice as much, you know, that's 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 more expensive. And so I think that we have to look at uh, at sometimes, you know, what is what is the wisest thing, which might be uh, what lasts the longest, what's most effective. Uh, and uh, again, it's not just a give me the cheapest price tag. Uh, that, might, that might lead us astray too. But I think the bigger issue really that I've seen is, is people get, they get wrapped up in, uh, oh boy, I've got this. And then they start to get tight fisted. I don't want to let go of any more of this than I need to. And again, open your hand. It all belongs to God. And he's given it graciously. And he can, if he needs to, he can take it away. Uh, he can bring us back to uh, doomsday again, <laughs> where we are, we are once again crying out desperately in need. And uh, there's that 
very real sense where I believe God is busy about that thing. He's, we, I, th- I think we always want to know, I want the specifics of the formula, and God is concerned about the heart. He wants intimacy of the heart. He wants us to respond with an obedient heart that is submitted to him. And if we're there, I think some of these other questions that bother us might not seem quite as, quite as, uh, you know, troubling to have to try to figure out. Um, but yeah, I certainly uh, think that there's, there's room to say being a good steward is not just being the cheapest all the time. You, you can, you can certainly, uh, make decisions for cheap and end up doing uh, yourself or those around you wrong. Mm. That makes sense. It does. It makes does. sense. And of course the other part of the coin side of the coin is equally true. It doesn't mean because it's expensive, you're being wise. Um, I was just looking at the earphones uh, that just came out <laughs> for Apple, almost, almost $300. I think it's 240 something um for music to be in your ears and of course they advertise them with all this flash and i'm thinking nah not yet not yet i don't think i'm willing to spend that much uh for earphones that that's that's ridiculous i mean i the only excuse i could come up with is probably because of the bad economy that's why the prices are high but again Thank you so much, uh, Chivaya. He says that uh, in the comments down, he says, stewardship to me is giving to God all that we have. And uh, through tithe offering, saving money for a rainy day and taking care of my family. And then he goes ahead to say a cheap price can sometimes be a waste of money. And that's what Pastor Kevin has been talking about. Uh, not that the not, not the Android has lost the war, but seeing how beneficial what you have is to your growth uh, towards uh, him. And, and, and I believe that's, that's 100% uh, true. Pastor Kevin, two questions came to mind. One, I, I said I'm not going to ask it, so let me ask the second one. And I know you're curious, trying to find what was the first question. But again, let me just ask the second one. Okay, sure. Uh, the, second question is, <laughs> the second question is, um, give us a glimpse in your financial planning, just a glimpse. You get your paycheck, um, just give us a glimpse on how you plan your money. And again, it may not be the same for each one of us, but yeah, a glimpse okay. is maybe one or two points out of 30. How would you handle your paycheck? It has arrived in your bank account. How do you handle it in a, in a good, um, as a good steward? Uh, well, I have to laugh when I say, well, I take it and I give it over to my wife. And she does the, uh, she, <laughs> she doesn't do the decision-making. We, we do that together, but, but she handles the, the, the nuts and bolts because she's much more organized than I am. She's, she's extremely gifted in, in administratively. And so, uh, can I, can I ask, but, can I ask that question again? Grace is awake and yes. uh, I can see her posting down there. <laughs> no, that, in your answer, in but, your answer but, don't mention wife. Yeah. <laughs> but but I but I must say you know my wife is extremely uh, she's she's very uh, devoted to the Lord and and is very um, frugal in a good sense you know she's she is uh, she wants to see God's ministry go forward but but what we what we would do is we I, I would take the portion we give and and we just start with ten percent and and the reason why we start with that is we just say hey if that's what God required in the Old Testament you know as, as a base. I certainly want to at least meet that. So we, we do that. And then from that, we choose some certain ministries or, or people that we support directly each month that we then add into that on top of that. And then we also then look for situations that are like maybe uh, one-time events that come up that, that we can give to to support. Um, and then we also look for needs of other people around us, uh, family members that might be in need, uh, sometimes church, you know, a church member, brother in Christ that might be in some sort of a need. Um, so, so we, we, there's not a formula when we get to that point where we're looking and just trying to be sensitive, trying to be, uh, responsive to what we're seeing, you know, around us. But, uh, then of course we have you know, from that money that we are, 
that we use to run our households, to feed our family, to entertain, to have people over and, and host uh, events and dinners. And so there's, so there's, you know, it's not like everything goes in earmarked exactly, but we, we try to take the ministry stuff off the top before we do anything else, just so we know that, you know, those things are taken care of. And then from there, we make our way. Mm-hmm. We, you know, for us, a big part of it is we, we try to be content with less. And, and, and I, mm-hmm. it really impacted me when I was in Bible college I had a, a professor that spoke in chapel one time, and he spoke about the uh, what Paul said in in First Timothy chapter six when he was talking about the danger of uh, of, of of loving money and, and wealth and riches, and and uh, and he and he talks about that, and, and there's a there's a real um, there's the he juxtaposes the the idea of people that are trying to use Christianity to just make more money, and, and then he says they that they they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But then he says in First Timothy six six, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For if we brought nothing into the for if we've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering. With these, we shall be content. And this uh, professor at my Bible college, what he had said as he spoke on this passage is he said, you know, Paul said that he was content. Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And so his question was, what does it take for us to be content? And if we can be content with less, then we can always have more money available to be used in in better ways and and maybe some of that yes we have to save maybe some of that we have to have for retirement you know we understand that but i i know that for instance we've always purchased used vehicles we've never bought a new car i don't know there where you are uh in in, uh, in east africa but here if you buy a, a new car uh the the price has become you know easily you know, $40,000, $50,000. And you can buy a used car for a 10th of that money. And if you do your own work and are careful, you know, you can, it will last for years and years and years also. And I've had friends who've said, Oh, no, I buy a new car just so I don't have to worry about, you know, any repairs. But I've already known people many times that that new car is in the shop, you know, because it turns out to not be such a good running car after all and my old truck still chugs along just fine and and so i don't say that by way of you know again i'm not trying to lay out law i'm not saying if somebody uh, buys a new car that they're wrong i'm just saying since you asked me about how we do it we just try to make decisions of being content with less and so we end up having more money therefore in the bank available that we can use as situations come up whether it's a ministry situation or whether it's just an emergency situation for us or a family member that we're not scrambling. And a lot of times the reason why we have that money is because we have, you know, been careful on the front, on the front end of it. Um, so, but, but, but again, I, I, I think that the whole question of, uh, what this means for us. Uh, oh, happy day. I've got this job. I'm going to have this income. I, I think it's a lot more than just a, a discussion about finances or money, as important as that is, because there's a whole other side of when we start that job, do we understand that God has put us in a new place that is going to be a mission field for us? There, there's something that God wants to do through us wherever we are, to impact other people around us for Christ. So am I aware that uh, this, this is not so much about God giving me a promotion so I now have more money. It might be that God is putting me in a place where I can impact more people or different people than I ever was able to impact before. And that to me is a huge part of this question is, do I, do I see the job as just an end in itself or do I understand that this is a whole new mission field where the Lord wants to use me? And I think that that is a whole question that we've got to be sure we stay 
you know, sharp on that and stay, stay on the, stay on point as, as God uses us in that place or he wants to use us right in that place of a new job. Two questions, uh, really dependent on exactly what you just said. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, uh, for allowing us a glimpse in your life. I mean, I, I was thinking to myself, he gets his paycheck and then he puts it back right into ministry where he got it from. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's just difficult, uh, to understand and, and, and comprehend. I'm going to ask two questions. One is directly in relation to what you just talked about. And the other is going to be for my pastor friend who has tuned in. I don't know how many other pastors have tuned in today, but I know Pastor Patrick was on here. First question is, I don't know what would you would consider significant, a significant increase in your paycheck. I'm just, got, I'm just going to throw out a random number out there. If you got an extra $10,000 to your monthly uh, income, what would you do with it? And then I'm going to ask on behalf of the church, you as a pastor, if your monthly offertory increased maybe to an extra $100,000, I'm just throwing random numbers, what would you do as a pastor with that? And I think that goes directly in line with this, oh, happy day, new job. You have a job, but you have a new one now. And of course, we want to equate this to a new opportunity of extra income. As an individual, right now, if you got an extra $10,000 to your paycheck, what would you do with it? I'm talking about monthly here for the purpose of context. And also for your church, if you got an extra $100,000, well, what, 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 where would you invest it? Um, and of course, right now, my head is thinking about the scripture uh, that talks about where your treasure is. There your heart shall be also. How would you handle that increment? In those two yeah, scenarios. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, first of all, for, for myself, if I did suddenly receive a windfall of, you know, so much money, uh, I would not say, oh boy, let's go buy that new car now, or let's go and get, you know, uh, let's go take a trip to some, you know, to Europe or to a vacation land. Uh, we might, you know, think about what can we do for a mission trip or what can we do to help? We, we'd be much more, my wife and I, uh, of the mindset of, uh, first of all, we want to be sure that we are just receiving what we need to in ministry uh, to to not be taking more than is needed for our household and our family to try to. Uh, in other words, if, if I if if I receive more money from the church and I don't need it, and then we end up giving it away, we have to pay taxes on that money just to have it pass through our hands. It's it's better just to have our church give it directly to the people who have need and then it doesn't pass through us and we don't have to, it doesn't complicate our situation with taxes in America because, you know, we never, we never owned it. So there, there have been many years where the church offered uh, a raise for us and we, we refused to take it and said, no, we don't, we don't need it. We're, we're fine. We have, we have everything that we need for our family, which might sound very, you know, counterintuitive, but I guess all I can say, David, is, is that's been our practice for, for many years. And the Lord has provided every need that we've had. Our children are all raised. Now we have four children. They are all married and out of the house. The Lord has provided for them. And we have, we have never, ever have I laid awake at night and, and thought, oh my, how are we going to make it? How will we pay this bill? Uh, we, we just don't think that that way um, because it just seems like as we've made God the first priority, and I would say this, you mentioned earlier, it seems like a huge thing to take that money and give it right back to God's work. This was great counsel I received early on before I ever got married in our premarital counseling is, you know, that money, just take it off the top before you ever even touch it, just allocate it to be giving it to the Lord's work so that you don't get into the habit of, taking your whole paycheck and keeping it for a week or a two weeks. And now I've got to pry it back out. I've, you know, I've already got ideas and plans for this thing now. So instead just right away, right off the bat, as soon as we get it, there's a check each, you know, each week going back the other way, which is funny for me as a pastor, because I receive, you know, I receive pay from the church. And then here, as you said, I'm giving money back to the church, which might sound kind of odd, but I just feel like it's part of that, you know, doing what we should do before the Lord to, uh, 
uh, to, to this. We're, we're not exempt from the same priority ourselves of supporting the Lord's work. Uh, if, if the church got a windfall of a lot of money, and that has happened at times uh, where we have had uh, someone give a larger gift, uh, we, we hold that and look for how the Lord wants us to use that, uh, in, whether it is to uh, support new missionaries, whether it is to uh, hire somebody new on staff to take care of, of the church as it grows to be able to, to handle you know, ministry to people or to uh, in some way you know, equip the church for, for doing more ministry or better ministry. But we, we wouldn't take it and just say, look at all this money. Let's go and, you know, buy some a really expensive item for the church or, you know, just to just to show that we have a wealthy church or, you know, that that, that's, that would not be any interest to me. I, I would just say we all these things, they come when people give, they give it's sacrifice. They give with the idea that this thing I am giving to the Lord. And I think that as a pastor and as leaders in our church, when we do receive a, a, a large gift, we need to receive it as a stewardship. This isn't just ours to, you know, to uh, enjoy. And now we need to start saying, Lord, what do we do? Uh, you've given us this. How do you want us to use this? Because in the end, the church doesn't belong to me or to our leadership or even to all the people that, that attend our church. The, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He said that it's that he would build his church, and so those resources belong to the Lord too. So, uh, you know, it's it's not a simple one size fits all answer. But I'm just I'm trying to give you a principle there that we we really do try to uh, to be frugal and careful. Not that we won't spend money when we need to, because you know sometimes you need to, but we we don't uh, rush to do that just because look what we have. We see this many times here in the United States, maybe more so than there, but when somebody uh, has a job that begins to pay more, they change their standard of living so that now that standard of living requires that new salary. And then they still struggle because anytime there's a small problem, they're just, they're just at the level of spending what they make. And now they say, well, we need to make more money. Then they get another increase in pay, but then they, they raise their standard of living again. And so they're perpetually in that situation. I don't ever want to be there uh, for myself. And I don't want our church, our ministry to be there uh, in that situation, because I don't think that glorifies God if a church has to constantly be harassing and haranguing the people. Come on, you need to give more. You need... And I've seen terrible examples of that where pastors even you know, send the plate around again and, and tell the people, you know, you, you, you know, they just really kind of embarrass the people and say, uh, you know, you need to love me more than that and give me more. I, de I deserve more than that. And, you know, I, I just, maybe it crosses cultures differently, but for, you know, you ask me about myself and what we do. So there's your answer. If that's not confusing no, no, enough. It's, not, it's actually <laughs> perfect. Uh, thank you. It's, it's really a very high bar from my perspective um it's it's i don't think i've thought about it that way um i've i've not had you talk about the things you bring your way as extra enjoyment i've not had you talk about vacation i know you guys take vacation almost every year from what i hear <laughs> we really think about it um but yeah it's i i know there's so much you could do with the money but what I'm hearing is unbelievable. I believe you. It's just unbelievable. Um, and of course, I've had to rethink the way I handle God's money, uh, even just listening to you. So I really, really appreciate our conversation today. It's It's been very, very educating in one way or another, but again, convicting to think about life. Some, some of these things are very, very scary. Um, I, I wish we could get more time uh, to talk. I, I have several other questions. I'm going to get more time to talk to you, uh, maybe not on the show, but on the side, just to be able to think about some of these uh, things, to bring you in context of some of the things that are going on uh, in our culture and, uh, and see how else I can glean 
from some of the wisdom that God has given you over the years. So thank you and thank you so much. You're about two minutes to the top of the hour. Is there anything else I could have left out, Pastor Kevin, that you would like to share with us um, as we come to the end of our time today? Well, I would say above anything else, be sure that the first thing in your heart is that you are seeking the Lord to draw close to him. I think that if we if we keep Christ in the center of our affection, the better we do that, the more that the whole question of my resources, my money, my possessions, all of that gets in order if, if I'm pursuing Christ uh, as I ought to be doing. And um, you'll see a lot of bad examples around you. We see many bad examples you know, where, where that gets you know, reversed or seems to be people are chasing after you know, more money. Even, I mean, pastors I see chasing more money, better positions. You know, I, I just think that we have to, to be content and say, uh, more than anything, I want Christ. Because I, I want to set my heart on what's eternal. Uh, and I want to realize what Paul said, that sometimes you know, that, that money brings, you know, a person that's chasing that, they, they, they get pierced through with many pains. You know, again, the warning in First Timothy 6, um, we've seen, uh, you know, someone who was wanting a promotion, and when they finally get the promotion, uh, this person that had a very dedicated heart, uh, they got the promotion, and suddenly they, begot, they became very sporadic in attending church, and doing ministry, they got they got weighed down, and they began to identify with just this new position in their promotion, and it ended up distracting and, and pulling them away from the Lord, and that's the last thing I I want in anybody's life, um, as, as I you know I, more than anything I want people to be pursuing Christ and what He wants in their life, hmm. so hmm. there's my there's my uh, thought on it. Do that, and the finances take care takes care of itself. Awesome wisdom tonight. If you've been blessed, just give me a thumbs up. I believe you have each one of us uh, been blessed. Thank you so much for uh, coming today. Let me remind you that uh, uh, Chip Nightingale is going to be with us this coming Sunday. Uh, Of course, as he officially launches his book live on the show, the interview I had with him did not, uh, wasn't live, number one, as we talked about the book, but he's coming back with a topic. War between husband and wife. War, literally. In fact, I'm going to do some extreme Photoshop on the poster. Um, I'm trying to think of how to do this, but it's going to depict actual war between husband and wife. And of course, we're going to be talking about his book, Ceasefire, uh, which is definitely talking about uh, conflict. The subtitle, I think, is Finding Peace When All You See Is Conflict. Let me remind you, that these copies are now available in Uganda in hard copy. He did give us printing rights as cabin devils. And yes, we can make these books available at half the price. If you'd like a copy, go to shop.cabindevils.com. Shop.cabindevils.com. And that book will get to you as soon as possible. Let me remind you to go also go to the book club. Just go to cabinlevels.com, tap book club. On the book club, we do have two major discussion platforms. There's talk through the book of James. Actually, I think chapter one by was done by Pastor Kevin Holman, who I'm also going to ask to uh, subscribe to the book club so you can be able to see and answer questions. The book of James is doesn't have much of a discussion as we talk right now. All you have to do is read through chapter one of the book of James and then listen to the podcast if you'd like to join the discussion and yeah, answer some of the questions that are on the book club. But Ceasefire is the other book that we have on the book club. If you'd like a copy, just go ahead and let me know. Just go to shop.cabindivos.com. It's only 15,000 shillings. If you'd like to, you can go to Amazon and buy it at double the price. Of course, as a good steward, I'll <laughs> encourage you to buy the hard copy that we have at half the price. It sounds like counterintuitive for the author, but he made that an offer to us. One of the statements he mentioned, he said, I have always prayed that this book would be able to help someone else out there. And it's interesting that Cabin Devils has been that place where this has been made possible. So go to shop.cabindevils.com. Once you purchase the book, you can confidently join the book club. If you know of someone who would like a copy, still let me know and I'll be able to get them a copy. I think I I have about 50 copies right now 
uh, left out of the 100. 30 were already taken, 4 were already taken, another 14 were taken, and I think about I have only about 50 uh, of them left. And at the beginning of the show, this coming Sunday, we'll play a very quick game. It, it's going to be Bible Trivia. And uh, the winner, definitely, is going to have a free copy of Ceasefire. You have to keep time if you'd like to be one of those that most likely will win a copy of Ceasefire this coming Sunday on Cabin Devils. And one of our slogans is we bring you the best from all over the world. And yep, I think I enjoyed our conversation tonight with Pastor Kevin. Thank you and thank you so much. It's been it's been really awesome uh, having you, Pastor Kevin. I cannot say thank you enough. Guys, we'll see you again next week. Are you saying something, Pastor Kevin? I was just going to say it's been great being with you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Awesome. Have a good night, guys, and uh, have a good day, Pastor Kevin. I know your day has almost just begun, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see you again next week, guys. Have a good night.